last Sunday uh, after church, one of my boys and I uh, went over to a friend's house. And as we got out of the car and uh, were walking across the front lawn, there were a couple uh, high school students there, and they were peppering. And uh, if you don't know what peppering is, uh, volleyball, uh, if you don't have enough people to play volleyball, uh, you get a couple people or uh, a few people in a circle and you uh, pass, set, and spike to one another. And, and my son and I are walking up to these two high school students and I could just see his face and read his body language as he was kind of saying with his body language and his facial expressions, um, I'm not going to be able to do this. These are, these are big kids and I'm, I'm not going to be able to just step in there and, and do that. And, and then just, just moments later, uh, he spots a soccer ball on the field, and he loves soccer. And so you just saw this transformation in him. He, he, he went from, oh, these are big kids, and I, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to, to be a part of this, to, man, I can kick this ball better than any of you. And he boots this thing across the property, goes all the way to the fence line. And, and as I uh, thought about uh, that experience on, on Sunday, I realized how much uh, I saw of myself and really how much of ourselves we see in that experience. The reality is that most of us often are thinking uh, way too little of ourselves, that we really uh, don't have anything to bring, anything to contribute, that, that, that we're unworthy, that, that we're, we're insignificant, that, that these, are, these, these are people that I, I, I shouldn't even be hanging out with. And then, and then uh, the other end of the extreme is we think we've got it all together and I'm the solution. I'm, I'm the one who's going to solve the problems. I'm the one who can bring the skill set. I'm the one who can uh, deliver things. And we tend to have uh, th- this unhealthy view of ourselves, either too low or too high. The reality is that all of us are longing for significance. We're longing for meaning. We're longing for our lives to count for something. And it is a struggle to work through how we find this significance. If we were to put our minds together, uh, those of us here in this room, and and come up with a list of of how our culture or how the world sees significance, how the world defines significance, we would probably have some of the same things uh, on our list. Perhaps beauty would be on the list particularly for women. Our culture, our society communicates that significance is beauty. And so there's bazillions of dollars spent uh, trying to, uh, to move up the pecking ladder uh, in cosmetics and all kinds of things I don't even want to mention this morning, to move up the pecking ladder uh, of significance or beauty. We might have on our list um, wealth. Certainly, our culture, our world, defines significance as wealth. In fact, some companies, one of the very things that they do as part of their core of who they are is, is conferring significance onto other people. Uh, American Express uh, does this. Probably uh, no one here has received an invitation to have Uh, the Centurion card or the Black American Express card. Uh, If you go to their website and you read about this privilege of 
of being uh, uh, given this or, or, or read about it online. The, the, the folks who, who get this card that's not made of plastic, it's actually made of platinum. And to get this card, you have to have spent uh, regularly over $250,000 a year with the card that you have and have a net worth of over $5 million. And if you have one of these, our uh, treasurer would like to see you after the, uh, <laughs> after the service today. I put this up here because wealth is one of the things that our culture and our society communicates. It's how we become significant. Beauty, wealth, we could have other things uh, on our list if we put our, our minds together. But of course, significance, as we know, does not come from our culture. It does not come from the world. Significance comes from knowing Christ and understanding of knowing how we, we have these same longings so that we don't waste our lives, so that our lives are meaningful, so that we have significance. We have those same kinds of longings that unbelievers have, but we have a completely different source in trying to discern how we become significant. And that's what I want to do in this brief message this morning as we uh, continue the beginning of our journey through the Gospel of John is to talk about significance. And in a few minutes, we'll get to the Gospel of John. But in this, this passage that's already been read, we, we read about the life of John the Baptist. And I want to begin by taking a look at one passage on the screen from Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says two things that are pretty, pretty radical. He says, Truly, I, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's the first radical thing he says. Other than Christ, amongst those born of women, that includes a lot of folk, John the Baptist is the greatest. He is the most significant. And when we read that, we should think, okay, why is that? Why is that? We're going to answer that question. And then the second radical thing he says our Lord does here in Matthew eleven eleven is yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And the kingdom of heaven here is referring basically to us, the church, those who have lived after this Passion Week that we are celebrating this week, this central event in all of history, the gospel, the death of Christ and his resurrection is is the inauguration or the beginning of the kingdom of God. will be consummated when he returns, but we are living already in the kingdom. It is not yet fully consummated. And so the second part of what he's saying in this one verse is radical because he's saying that you and I can be greater than John the Baptist who has been greater than all people up until this point apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me answer these couple things. I'm going to kind of preach my sermon here before we even get into John's text and give the central uh, point of my message. And that is, John is the greatest because more than anyone before him, more than any of the prophets, more than anyone that spoke about God, John is the greatest because he most clearly understood and pointed to the gospel. That's why he's the greatest. It's not because he was so much holier than so-and-so. It was because he pointed to the gospel more clearly by his words and by his life than anyone else. And guess what? Those of us who live on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we have an opportunity to be even greater than him because we have a fuller understanding of what Christ did on the cross. 
and the opportunity to live out this gospel and to live out the fruit of the Spirit. D.A. Carson uh, writes this. He says, uh, he, John the Baptist, was the greatest of the prophets because he pointed most unambiguously to Jesus. Nevertheless, even the least in the kingdom is greater. That's you and I. We have that opportunity. Yet because living after the first coming, the cross, and the resurrection have occurred, he or she, you or I, point to Jesus still more unambiguously than John the Baptist. So before we even get into our short passage today, the whole point of this morning's message is that my significance, your significance, does not come from beauty, does not come from wealth, does not come from athletic abilities or skill sets that we bring to our jobs or our life situations. Our, significant comes, our significance comes from how well we point ourselves, how well Mike points himself, and how well I point others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where our significance comes from. We're going to see this in John the Baptist's life as we look briefly at this passage. And John, let's bow our heads and pray together before we uh, look at this passage again. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we are not left moving from thing to thing, from place to place, from activity to activity, looking for significance. Lord, we confess to you that some of us have been caught up in this. We've been caught up in, in, in wishing that we lived in that, that house or the neighborhood just kind of above ours. We, we, we've been caught up in, in this environment at, at school, perhaps, where we look at someone that's, that's more beautiful or more athletic, and we wrongly buy into this idea that, that I could be more significant if I were like so-and-so. Father, we pray that you would free us from, from those kinds of thoughts and that today you would help us to see that our significance comes from pointing ourselves and others to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we have the clarity of the word of God to guide us. We pray that you give us a hunger for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're not there, uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 1. Uh, Jerry's already read this passage. We're going to look just at verses 19 through 28 uh, very briefly this morning. And as you're turning there and just, just getting set, I, I just want to mention one thing that really doesn't have uh, related to this passage, not really related to my sermon, but it is related to this passage. That's what I'm talking about. It's just a beautiful thing I saw this week as I was studying. Uh, you know, we, this gospel begins in the beginning, and we have this allusion in John 1, 1 to creation, and those first words in Genesis 1 but what I had never seen before, and I've read this passage before, I've even preached from here before, I've read commentaries on here before, but I didn't see that John put these markings in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that lay out a seven-day week, kind of emphasizing subtly but powerfully the creation, the new creation, the new creation aspects of the new covenant and of Jesus. And let me just point these out to you, and then we'll come back to our passage. Day 1 is what I'm preaching today, verses 19 through 28. So if you're taking notes, you can just write day one. There's no, there's no marker there. The first marker comes in verse 29, where it says the next day. So next, the next day is day two. This is John's new creation that, that, that he's showing for, for those of us who labor in the word and, and see these things. So day two begins in verse 29 and goes through verse 34. Then verse 36, we have day three, the next day. You see the very first words of verse 36. And then if you jump down, 
And if I had two hours, I would, I would go into this more detail. But this is just so beautiful. I just wanted to show you this. If you jump down to verse 39, where it says uh, they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him, it was about the 10th hour. That took two days. So we have day three and day four right there. And then verse 43, the next day, that's day five uh, in verse 43. Day six isn't mentioned. And then this is the part maybe why I'd never seen this before. In chapter two, verse one, where we have Jesus' first miracle. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, on the third day. And I've always thought of that as, as the third day. But as, as I was studying and reading some of the commentaries, he said, no, this third day is referring to verse 43. So that was day 5, and then the third day. So day 5 is day 1, day 6 is day 2, and day 7 is on the third day, if you follow me with that. Say amen. If you, did you follow me? Did you follow me with that? And No. <laughs> No, uh, some of you are honest. Thank you. I have no idea what you're talking about. You lost me. You had to be tracking pretty quick with me. To summarize, I'll, 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 we'll have a remedial class later if, if, you didn't, if you didn't follow me. To summarize, this is just a beautifully subtle way that John is, is showing the magnitude of what's happened. This logos, this God who has always been has become flesh. And now he's, doing, he's beginning his ministry, the first miracle happening at a wedding. And, and he's just showing us in a very subtle way. That was all bonus, okay? Now we're coming back to the passage um, passage this morning in verse 19. And let's just walk through this briefly, uh, beginning in verse 19. Uh, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Verse 22 of chapter 1. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, at the beginning of this this day one, the beginning of this short passage we're looking at today, uh, we see that there's tremendous interest in John the Baptist from the uh, Pharisees that they're mentioned in verse 24 And then back up to verse 19, the priests, the Levites, they've sent this contingent. Who are you? What is going on? And it's important that we understand kind of the background of of what is happening in John chapter 1. There has been silence. Silence amongst God's people for four centuries. No prophets have spoken. No Messiah has come. There is just not much happening at all. And the religious leaders are eager to hear. Is the Messiah here? What is going on? There's this this massive hunger for for God to speak to us. We know that he's sending a Savior, a Messiah. We're longing for him. He has, uh, over the centuries, spoken through all of these different prophets, major and minor, all of these people, and then nothing. It just goes silent. John is, is uh, the last, really, of the Old Testament prophets. So there's this massive, uh, massive attention uh, on him. Uh, the Talmud uh, states explicitly that Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were the last of the prophets. This huge silence. And this guy shows up, and, and people are just ready to, to, to hear from him, to who is he, what is, what is going on? And we see... What, what he's about. What he's about, um, he, he tells us in verse 23, quoting uh, Isaiah, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. 
makes straight the way for the Lord. John had more opportunity for prideful significance. (laughs) I mean, he had the setup of setups for a prophet, for someone who likes to speak. But his identity wasn't in his his prophetness. It wasn't in his, his speaking. It was in this one who is coming after me that I am just here to prepare the way for. This is where his significance comes from. Verse 24, now some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are upset because not only is he attracting this huge following, he has a following all the way through the book of Acts. We, we run into people who, who, are, who are followers of John, and they have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name. That they, they did not even yet know there's a Holy Spirit because he had this massive following. So he has silence, no prophets before him. He has the voice. He has this massive following. He has all of these people after him. They're asking him uh, all of these questions. And all he is about is pointing uh, to Christ. That is where his significance comes from. That is what uh, he is all about. Um, Jumping ahead there, hang on. He, He is pointing... To Christ. The Pharisees are asking him in verse 24 why he's doing this. Now, one of the things that was scandalous in their minds that he was doing, so you can understand the background that's going on here, in, in John's day, there would be baptisms that took place. There would be uh, foreigners, pagans, non Israelites who would come to believe in, in Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who created the heavens and the earth. There would, people that would, there, would, there would be people who would come to faith in him. And those people, and those people only, would be baptized as a ceremony as they came into the covenant community of God, the uh, nation and uh, people of God, Israel, at that time. And so they would be baptized. But John is baptizing everybody. He's baptizing Jews and Gentiles. He's baptizing religious leaders. He's not showing any respect whatsoever for the customs of the day. And they are upset and they're wondering what is going on. He must be the Messiah. He must be really powerful if he's doing something like this and infringing on our territory. Look at verse 26. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. His response to them is, yeah, I'm baptizing, but the one that you really need to be focused on, you're focused on the wrong guy. There is one out here among us. He's not just a carpenter. He is the logos who has become flesh. He is the savior of the world. This is This is huge. And John is saying to the people in the first century, he is saying the same thing to us as he is saying to the people in the first century. We have a tendency to look for significance, to look for things in all kinds of places. And John would say to us this morning is that among you stands one you do not know. He has gone to the right hand of the Father, but Christ is accessible to every one of us. And that is the place where we find significance. It is the place where we find life. It is the place that we find hope. It is not in these other things. 
He says in verse 27 about Jesus that he's not worthy to untie his sandals. This was the slide I popped up earlier, which was something that slaves would do for their masters. They would take off their sandals. And one of the rabbinic sayings was that every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of his sandal thong. So disciples who would follow a rabbi, they would do everything that a slave would do except for this. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to do what a slave does for his master to this one who is among you, this Messiah Jesus. His entire life is about pointing to Christ. It is where his significance comes from. It is what his identity is. It is what his calling is. We are all longing for meaning. We're longing for purpose. We're not wanting to waste our lives. And the way is simple to state and very difficult to live out. The way is to point ourselves and to point others to him. By the way that we live our lives, whatever our calling is in life, our calling is really, ultimately, every one of us is the same, and it's to live for Christ and to point ourselves and to point others to him. Was John's mission, we really have the same mission. You might be thinking, well, you know, how do, how do, I, how do I do that? You know, I, I mean, John was pretty radical. He was out there, the desert, baptizing. What does it look like for me to do that? Now this, uh, this last week, I went to visit um, one of the women in our congregation. She hasn't been with us for, for a long time, for months, maybe, maybe a couple years or more. She's, uh, she's uh, bedridden. Uh, many of you know her. Her name's uh, Grace Graham. Uh, as I go into her room to visit her, there is a smile on her face. There is joy in her heart. She can't really see. She can't feed herself. Things that she looks forward to are kind of being able to make out the blue sky out the window, being able to see the green leaves. She can't go anywhere. She can't do anything. But everyone who comes into that room, she is pointing them to the Savior. That's her calling. That's our calling. When you go to work, when you go to school, in the home, whatever your stage of life is, whatever your calling is, it is the same thing. It is to point others, to point ourselves to Christ. I go into her room, and I am am blessed because she has massive significance. It's, it's, It's not from beauty. It's not from wealth. It's not from power. It's not from the skill sets we have from knowing and loving Christ, pointing ourselves, pointing others to him. That's what he's calling us to do. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you again that we look in the wrong places in life for significance. For some of us, it's, it's how well we work and how we produce For some of us, we think significance will only come through our children being successful and beautiful and wealthy, or our grandchildren. Lord, free us from that. Lord, we pray that we would have hearts for our children and our grandchildren, 
that they would be like John the Baptist, that they would be like Grace Graham, that whatever their stage in life, that they would be pointing themselves and others to this, to this one of whom we are not worthy to untie his sandals, but just to praise him and to worship him. Pray that you would help us to do that in our lives as we go about our days this week. And we pray, too, that we would do that right now with our voices in just a moment as we stand and as we sing. We would not just sing like we were around a campfire or, or, or something with Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, but that we would, that we would know and love Jesus Christ, the eternal Logos who became flesh, born in Bethlehem as a baby, but who came to die for us. On this day, we, we remember his entry into Jerusalem and the anticipation that was in his heart about the suffering that would come to him, a suffering that was not in vain, but was to absorb the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin, to take our punishment upon himself and to be raised on the third day. Help us to sing in such a way that we point to him and help us to find our significance in pointing to him. We pray in his name.